conclude our discussion of a tenth objection that has been raised in connection with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible? It has been affirmed by many that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ guarantees the forgiveness or disposing of the penalty of past, present, and future sins, so that the believer in Christ is guaranteed an entrance into heaven without further conditions being met. And yet there appears to be many passages of Scripture in the Bible that sets forth future salvation of the believer as a conditionality, that it is not a fixity, but it depends upon the continuance in faith and obedience until death in the glorious gospel relationship that has been made possible through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now both of these pathways of salvation cannot indeed be true, and so if they are both equally established in the Bible, then we have an inconsistency and a problem of truthfulness to be dealt with. We have seen in our study of the Scripture that many passages of the Old and New Testaments require a continuance in faith and obedience until death as a condition of final salvation. Verily, the very tone of the Bible is that salvation from sin is not a fixity, but is dependent upon our abiding in Christ until death. And then in this glorious New Testament dispensation, there has been made possible such a wonderful victory through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the indwelling Christ that we can have a deliverance from sin. And thus our guilt is all the more increased if we do not abide in Christ and continue happily in his wonderful love. And so the promises of the gospel we have seen relate to the forgiveness of sins. Nothing is said about the forgiveness of future sins, and nothing is said as to the different nature of God's dealing with us than of we dealing with one another. We are asked to forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. And there is no intimation that there is anything peculiar about God's forgiving our sins. So on every hand, the natural interpretation of the Word of God and the New Testament in particular is that through repentance and faith in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are forgiven for past sins and wonderfully restored to the grace of God. And we are to continue happily in this wonderful gospel relationship. But then we have seen that there are many passages of Scripture that indicate that a person may be in a state of forgiveness in one period of his life and come under condemnation at another period and need to be forgiven for some sins for which he was not forgiven for before. We were in process of reading uh, some passages from the Old Testament that testify to this fact, and we saw that David, although he pleased God and was a man after God's own heart, grievously sinned against God and came under a very great condemnation. He confessed his sins, forsook them, found forgiveness anew. We saw that Ezekiel was very outspoken in asserting 
that our forgiveness of past sins did not guarantee our continued standing with God, but that God expected us, because of His mercy, to continue in His loving forgiveness. As we come to the New Testament, we note that the future sins of the disciples were not forgiven. In Matthew 6:15, we read concerning our Lord's admonition. He said, verse 14, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here is the indication that there may be a need for continuous forgiveness. We are to walk in the light of God, and when we are guilty of sin, we are immediately to confess and forsake and find forgiveness. But our Lord is pointing out to them that unless they maintained a condition of heart that would forgive others, that God was not going to be disposed to forgive them. We come to the 12th chapter of Matthew, verses 43 to 45 where we read a description of a situation by our blessed Lord that indicates something of the nature of salvation. Our Lord said, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so it shall it be unto this wicked generation, our Lord said. So the concept is that when evil spirits have been deposed from their position of authority, and when there has been forgiveness of sin, and when there has been the ruling glory of God within a heart, that it is possible to dispense and depose that wonderful, gracious life of God within our heart, and if so, it is possible to revert unto a state that is worse than the first. We come to John chapter 5, verses 11 and 14 where we read concerning our Lord as he admonished a man whom he hath healed to sin no more, lest worst consequences became his. Certainly he was not forgiven for future sins. He answered him, He that made me whole, that is, this individual that the Lord Jesus had healed, and he told him to carry his bed and go to his house. And he said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. And the glorious miracle of God's grace was wrought before their eyes. Then in verse 14, Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Certainly here was a necessity to continue in the grace of God, and not to take advantage of God's kindness and mercy. In the first chapter of Acts, verses 24 and 5, we read about the apostle Judas, who fell from his discipleship and apostleship. 
and was forever lost. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Judas, you recall, after he had betrayed his Lord, repented of his sin and came and cast down the money, but they would not hear him. And in great remorse he went out and hanged himself. His day of doom was settled. He had turned away from his Lord. And certainly every indication is that Judas was a true disciple and a true apostle at one time. For we read in the 10th chapter of Matthew, without having time to discuss this subject, that the Lord Jesus said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, and so forth. And so in naming Judas among the 12 apostles, he was sent forth as a sheep, according to the words of our blessed Lord. And so he uh, fell from this uh, exalted position that he had to go to his own place of doom. As we come to the 8th chapter of Acts, we read concerning Simon the sorcerer at Samaria, who was evidently truly saved, but came under condemnation again and needed to be forgiven for further sins. We read in 8th 12, But when they believed, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. But when Peter came and manifested the great power of God, he thought he would buy this gift by money, which would give him prestige and a great demonstration. And Peter turned to him in verse 21, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Peter didn't say that all his sins needed to be forgiven, but he said that this desperate turn of his into the state of selfishness needed to be forgiven. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which thou hast spoken come to pass. And so here we see the necessity of continued forgiveness. James, in his first chapter, verses 13 to 15, made it clear that the end of all sin is condemnation and spiritual death and separation. No exceptions are stated to his law, only by confession and forgiveness. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Here is the unalterable law of God. And so we might read a number of other scriptures. But we are happy to see as we study this subject, that the Bible is delivered from this charge of inconsistency and its divine author vindicated. The Bible expressly affirms that upon sincere repentance and faith in the sacrificial death of Christ, we are forgiven for our past sins. 
in the absence of any contrary instruction, we are left to the only common sense and realistic interpretation that our forgiveness is equal to our guilt. We are guilty only for past sins, and therefore we can be forgiven only for past sins. Future sins bring everyone into condemnation. God is no respecter of persons and has no favorites. Thus is increased our respect for the justice and simplicity of the Bible and the God of the Bible. Our Heavenly Father, accept thanks for thy precious word which guides us into the pathway of truth. We pray that many may turn from sin in response to thy invitation and in repentance look unto thee, Lord Jesus, as thou hast died for them, and through faith find forgiveness and reconciliation. We pray that many may so respond in Jesus' name. Amen.